first one in God's Word tonight, first of all, to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John in chapter 20. And a well-known reading at the end of the chapter, verse number 30. John 20 and verse 30 to begin with. It's a pleasure to be back in Aberdeen again, not just for the weather, but really to see the saints and enjoy your fellowship here this evening. And thank you for coming to listen to me. So let's read what the Word of God says, John 20 at verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Notice, please, that this is about something written in a book. Many other things are not written, but these are written, says the Scriptures, that we might believe. Let's turn a few pages back to Luke's Gospel, Luke in chapter 10. <laughs> Luke in chapter 10, again, I'm sure it's a well-known verse, verse number 20, the Lord Jesus said, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And along with that, you don't need to turn to it, but you know in Philippians 4 verse 3, we read about people whose names are written in the book of life. So we've read about two books so far. Let's go to the Old Testament now and read about another two in Psalm 139, first of all. <clears throat> Psalm 139, verse number 14. <clears throat> I will praise thee, it says David, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book were all my members written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And a final reading at the very end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi and chapter 3. <coughs> Malachi 3 at verse 16. <clears throat> then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. God will bless these readings from his word, I'm sure. We've read from the scriptures, the Bible, the book of all books. But in this book, as you've noticed, I'm sure, we've referenced to other books, and it's four of these I want to draw your attention to tonight. And as I do so, I trust you relate to them. I do trust your name is in at least one of them, maybe more than one, as we shall see. So first of all, we read about a book, and let's give it a title, We'll call it the book of Revelation, what God has been pleased to reveal to us about his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, not only for the knowledge of our heads, but for the faith of our hearts and the life of our souls, a book written to give us faith, 
to give us reason to be sure that what we believe is true, because it is the Word of God. So that's book number one, the book of Revelation. And then we read in Luke 10, possibly a book that you'd want to call the book of salvation, or if you wanted to begin with another letter R, as preachers love to do, you would call it the book of redemption. And this book is, of course, written for a reason as well. Said the Lord Jesus, rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. The first one is a book for our faith. This one is a book for our rejoicing. And it's so important to make sure that your name is written there, because as we shall see, those whose names are not in the book of life eventually end up in the lake of fire. So we have a book of revelation for our faith, a book of salvation for our joy. And then we read in Psalm 139 about a book in which all our members were written, when as yet there was none of them. I want to call that a book of creation, because you and I and everybody else in this world have been created by the hand of God. And as David the psalmist thought about that, his heart was filled with praise. So the book of creation is a book to give us a reason to praise and worship the Lord. And then the last one we read about was there in the book of Malachi. As you know, Malachi served God in a very dark and difficult day. Things were really going to pieces. And yet in that day we read that those that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the book of remembrance was written, not on earth, I don't think so anyway. It too was written in heaven. And that book was written about those who feared the Lord and thought about his name. What shall we call that? Well, it is called the book of remembrance. But I think we could call it a book of devotion because it was a book in which those who were truly devoted to the Lord in a dark and difficult day found their names were going to be written and never forgotten. And so tonight, dear brothers and sisters, as we're here in Aberdeen, I'm wondering how many of these books, first of all, can you read? Secondly, how many of these books have your name in them? And and thirdly, how many of these books bring about in your soul these desired outcomes? Have we got confidence in the Scriptures? Have we a reason to be sure that what we read and what we believe is actually true? I hope we're like these people of whom Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2. You received the word that we brought to you, not because it was the word of men, but because it was the word of God. And here we are tonight, and I'm privileged to preach to you the word of God. And you can be confident in this tonight, not because it's my word, which could well be fallible, but we're reading and thinking tonight about a book that's the revelation of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. And our faith is stable because it rests on the rock, the rock we were singing about, the unshakable rock of Holy Scripture, our Bibles. The Book of Salvation. I trust that everybody who hears me tonight knows that their book is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When the Lord was here, you know, he sent out his disciples. You would notice that earlier in Luke 10 if you read it. And they came back rejoicing because the spirits were subject to them. But the Lord said, listen, there's something to be more joyful about than the success of your ministry. 
it's more important to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice because your name is in the book of salvation. Success may bring its joy, but really there's no joy like the joy of salvation. And knowing that that salvation is secure and eternal because as we shall see, names written in the Lamb's book of life can never be blotted out. Then we read about the book of creation. Maybe some of you realize I've got a bit of a special interest in that, but apart from that, I think generally speaking, as God's people, we use the book of creation far too seldom. It is, according to the Bible, a book that will enable us to praise and worship God with all our hearts. David, of course, is the prize example in the psalm we read from. He said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book, all my members are written before they were even there. A book of creation that would promote our praise and our worship. And finally, this fourth book, the book of devotion, the book of remembrance, which would stimulate our conversation because these people, you know, in that dark day they lived in, they didn't really speak about what was happening all around them. They might have done, but they didn't make that the chief subject of their conversation. They feared the Lord and they spoke to one another about him. And the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written with their name in it. And I wonder tonight if your name and my name will be in a book like that in the great day of eternity when those books are opened and God rewards every one of us according to our works. So that's my summary for tonight. I was going to be rude and say, if you want, you can go to sleep now because you've got the message, but that's not the right thing to say. I know you won't fall asleep. I know you're ready to listen. And I hope I'm ready to bring to you some precious things about these books that God has written. You know, books are written by God himself. Many of us like to read books. Some of us even write books. But you know, there's no books like these that we have tonight. This library with just four volumes in it, a book of revelation, a book of salvation, a book of creation, a book of devotion, why we could delve into these books tonight for a long time, but I'll just take half an hour or so of your time and we'll speak about these books for a few minutes. So back to John 20. You know the setting, don't you? You'll need to turn back to it. I'm sure you know this chapter well. In John 20, it's the resurrection day. The Lord has risen from the dead early in the morning. He's appeared to 10 of the disciples in the evening. They couldn't believe it was true, first of all. Then he appeared the following first day of the week when Thomas was present. And Thomas, who was doubting, had his doubts totally removed when he saw the risen Lord standing before him, pointing to his wounded hands and feet and side. And the Lord said to Thomas, Be not faithless, but believing. And the Lord said, Thomas, you saw me and you've believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. We haven't actually seen with our eyes the risen Lord Jesus. One day we will. 
but we haven't seen him yet. But the big question then becomes, how can we believe? How can we believe and be as sure as Thomas was? How can we bow in worship before this person and say, my Lord and my God? The answer comes in the next two verses in the chapter. Where John, the inspired writer, says, there are many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. And sometimes you say to yourself, well, I wish they were. I'd love to know more. And there certainly is a lot about the life of our Lord Jesus, the things he said and did, that are just not written. And some people speculate, but that's no good, really. But John says this, look, although these things are not written, the things that are written are enough so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These words written on the page of our book are words from God, revealed to us through his Holy Spirit, so that we might believe. Sometimes belief is a big step ahead. You can't believe everything you hear. You can't believe everything you read. How can we be sure that this word we're reading tonight is believable? Can we have confidence in it? I want to suggest to you we certainly can have confidence in the scriptures. I want to convince you, if you need convincing, that what you believe is not the word of men. Men wrote it. John the Apostle wrote these very words that we are reading. But he wrote them because they were the words that God revealed to him to write so that you and I might believe. But that's not the end of the sentence. It is that believing we might have life through his name. These words are not only trustworthy and they're not only believable, but they are life-giving. And I'm sure I'm talking to people tonight who know this is true. You have put your faith in the word of God. You have taken in trust as truth, the words of Holy Scripture. And it has not only given you someone to trust in, someone who will never let you go. It's given you eternal life through his name. He said, you remember on another occasion, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. But what about this book? This book of Revelation. You know this, I'm sure, but let me just run quickly over some points. You know that this book of Revelation came to us by means of inspiration. God himself did not write the words. God chose individuals, holy men of God they were called, to write down what he wanted them to write down. And they wrote it down. They did not trust their memories to tell somebody about it later. If you're like me, you'll need to write things down to remember them next week. And it's no different with the scriptures. That is why they are called the Holy Scriptures. They are the Holy Writings. Men who wrote them down got them not out of their own minds or their own imaginations. They got them by special revelation from God. And that is the key reason, dear friends, why may we have total confidence in our Bibles in the Holy Scriptures given by inspiration of God. So at one level... We've revelation from God, given to men by inspiration from God, 
But let's think about what they do when we receive them. Think of your Bible. If you didn't have a Bible, if there was no Bible in the world, how would you ever make sense of the world you live in? Well, one thing the Bible does, this revelation from God, brings information to us. Things that we couldn't know otherwise are revealed to us in the Scripture. Our minds are always longing for knowledge of things we don't know. And there would be no way of knowing certain things if they were not written in the Bible. For example, we would not know about the past, how everything began. But the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. People speculate about that nowadays, and many of them come to their own conclusion. But we who've got a revelation from God, written down in inspiration to men, know about the past, how everything began. People are also interested about the future. How would we know about the future if it wasn't for our Bible? Why, we don't even know what will happen tomorrow or later on tonight. But we do know about eternal future because this information is in the Holy Scriptures. We know there is a heaven for those who trust Christ. We know there is a hell for those who refuse Christ. And we would not know that apart from our Bible. So the Bible brings us valuable information about many other things, but these are two obviously important ones. But the Bible also brings to us instruction. It's not just knowledge for our minds. It's about our behavior, how we ought to live, what we ought to do. And the Bible, of course, is full of instruction for daily living, in your family, in your home, for your marriage, for your children. Now, presently, society is throwing all that to the winds, and I don't want to go down that road tonight, but the Bible gives us clear instruction about family life, about marriage life, about home life. Tells us how husbands ought to behave, how wives ought to behave, how children ought to behave. This instruction is here. But it also gives us information about how we ought to behave in our workplace. What kind of employers we should be or employees. That information, that instruction is given as well. And it is given clear information about how we ought to behave in our church gatherings. Why there's even a verse in Timothy that you know about where Paul says, I'm writing this, that people know, may know how they ought to behave in the church of God. And if it wasn't for the Bible, we wouldn't know. We'd have to make it up as we go along. And we'd get it hopelessly wrong. So it's a book of revelation. It's a book of information. A book of instruction. <coughs> it's a book of regeneration. That's really the point of this verse that we read. Through this book, we learn how we can have life. Not just information for our minds or instruction for our behavior, but life for our souls. These souls that God put within our bodies need life. How can we get it? Get it by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is a book that brings regeneration. Number one, believe. Number two, have life. Be born again by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. It's worth just mentioning one or two other things because all of us sit here, I think, with a book on our knee or somewhere nearby 
that we can look at, cast our eye upon, and immediately get the message. It wasn't always like that. We should not forget to be thankful for those who preserved the Bible for us. Down through centuries of persecution, no book has been so maligned and and antagonism leveled against it as the Bible. And yet through the centuries, the dark ages of persecution, there were those who preserved for us the Bible. Nor should we ever take lightly the great task of those who translated it for us. Preservation is one thing, but if it was preserved in Hebrew and Greek, as were the original languages, to be honest, I couldn't read it, nor could you maybe. Sorry, maybe some of you can. But, you know, we not only need a Bible which is given by inspiration and a Bible that's here by preservation, but we need a Bible that's got translation that we can read tonight in our own mother tongue. And whether you want the KGV or the NKGV or whatever the important thing is, you've got a Bible that you can look at now and immediately get the message because it's been (coughs) translated. And it's also worth noting that this book, the Bible, has been distributed more widely than any other book in the world. It is still the world's number one bestseller. Now that in itself tells you something, does it not? Most Bibles are printed in China, that country which for years banned Christianity and promoted communism. Sadly, I'm hearing that things are tightening up on the Chinese believers. We need to remember and pray for them, but that's by the way just now. But in the Amity Press in China, in the year 2012, the number of Bibles that was printed was, wait for it, 100 million. If you try to count from one up to 100 million, it'll take you a long time. That's the number of Bibles that were printed in one year in China. And something like a hundred times that number is the total number of Bibles in the world today. And you and I have got one. If you're like me, you probably have more than one. But they're here because it was inspired, it was preserved, it was translated, it was distributed. You were able to get one quite easily. Not everybody can, by the way, and let's remember this important point that getting Bibles to other people does work wonders. But in spite of inspiration and preservation and translation and distribution, there's one other thing. You know what it's called? It's called application. You can have a Bible in your hand. You can have several Bibles in your home. But if you don't read them, and if you don't heed their message, if you don't apply to your life what the Bible clearly teaches, what's the point? The point is that through this book, given to us by revelation of God, There is a foundation for our faith. Our faith is stable. And it is a present resource to give a strong, sure foundation to our lives. Not everything is written in it. Sometimes we wish there was more we could find out. But God says, enough is written for you to believe and for you to have life. I wonder what you value most about your Bible. What's the most precious thing to you 
that you'll learn from your Bible. Do you ever sing that hymn? Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. Our Father tells of his love in the book he has written. And for you and me, isn't it precious to learn and to be sure that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, loves me and gave himself for me? And of course, that brings me to talk about this other book, because by believing in the Lord Jesus, learning of his great love for us, our names are written in heaven. I was looking again this past week, and I think there are eight references in the New Testament, either implicitly or explicitly, to the book of life. This is a lovely one, which we read in Luke chapter 10. As I said, the disciples came back to the Lord. He'd sent them out on a mission. And when they came back, they rejoiced that the demons had been subject to them through the Lord's name. But the Lord Jesus said, well, there's something more important than that. There's something to rejoice in even more than that. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Are you glad that your name is written in heaven? I guess that all our names are written in many places. There are registers of people's names all over the place. You can't live in a city or a society without having your name written somewhere, even if it's to make sure that you get the right bills when they arrive. And even some people pride themselves in names being chiseled on stone memorials and the like. But all of these will perish. Even digital records can be corrupted. Written pages can be spoiled and burned. Names chiseled in stone eventually become defaced and illegible. But names written in the Lamb's Book of Life can never be blotted out. It means we are not only saved and happy for being saved, but we're saved and sure that we're saved. Sure because what God has done can never be undone. The Lord Jesus who gives eternal life will never take it away. Why? This book is called the book of life. And those who have eternal life have this great reason to rejoice because we've got a certain future. We've got a future hope that nothing can take away. Blessed assurance. Our names will never be blotted out. So if in the book of Revelation we have a reason to be sure about our faith, in this book, this book of redemption, this book of salvation, we have a reason to be joyful about our faith, to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. If you were thinking about a New Testament epistle that was full of joy, I think you would go to one that you must have read a few times called Philippians. It was written by Paul when he was in prison, so as far as normal happiness was concerned, there was every reason to be doleful and down in the dumps. But in that epistle, Paul writes again and again about rejoicing, about joy. And in that verse I refer to already, chapter 4, verse 3, 
where he says, Philip, Lois woman, who labored with me in the gospel, whose names are in the book of life. The very next verse says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. And whether it's Dura Aberdonians or Dura Pfeiffers, sometimes our faces belie our joy. Sometimes we would think that there was nothing happy about living, where all the time the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Because our names are written in heaven. Eight references, I think, in the New Testament, one here in Luke 10, that one I've referred to in Philippians 4. There's another one in Hebrews 12, which I think is the same book, although I couldn't actually prove it. It speaks about the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. Must be that, I think. And then in the book of Revelation, there's a cluster of them. In Revelation 5, in Revelation 3, rather, verse 5, to the church in Sardis, he says, Your names will not be blotted out of the book of life. In chapter 21, we read that those who have access to the holy city, to heaven itself, are only those whose names are in the book of life. By contrast to that, in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, it speaks about the followers of Antichrist, the followers of the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life. And of course, in chapter 20, at that great and fearful description of the great white throne, we read on the great day when the books are opened, those whose names are not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. It is ever so important for everyone here to be absolutely sure that their names are in the Lamb's book of life, this book of salvation, this book that has the names of all who've trusted the Saviour. And to rejoice, without ceasing, to rejoice in the goodness and grace of God that wrote your name there. Who was it who wrote? Twas grace that wrote my name in life's eternal book. Twas grace that brought me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Dear friends tonight, let's not only be sure of our faith, let's be joyful in our faith, this great faith in Christ and in Christ alone. What about the book of creation? Psalm 113, I'm sure you agree, is a beautiful psalm. In that psalm there are words written that often move you without really understanding why. It's one of these few chapters in the Bible that takes time to talk about the marvel of conception and gestation and birth and how a whole new baby comes into the world. And even yet, people don't understand it all. I don't know why David took up this subject at this time. In the earlier part of the psalm, he's been speaking about how God's presence follows him everywhere. Speaks about the darkness and the light being the same to God. And then he says, let me read this. Thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me 
in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book, in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And then he says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Let's just take a couple of minutes to think about what these verses are telling us. They're not written in modern scientific gynecological language. You wouldn't expect that, would you? They were written 3,000 years ago. But although written 3,000 years ago, the facts that are in these verses are absolutely spot on. (coughs) Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Before you and I were brought to birth, a process took place hidden from everyone's sight, but marvelously happening that brought a real baby into the world nine months after conception. And says David, this is amazing. This is marvelous. And God, God, I want to praise you for it. I guess most of us, especially as we get older, thank God for good health every day. But whether we're old or young, do we really take time to thank God for the bodies we live in? Yes, they are spoiled by sin. They do deteriorate with age. But your body and my body is a marvel of engineering, is a marvel of creation. Says this verse, I was made. I was made. I didn't evolve. I was made. And if something was made, first of all, it needs to be planned. Then it needs to be designed. Then it needs to be built. Then it needs to be functioning for a purpose. That's true about every structure you can name. Even this microphone, even those chairs you're sitting on, everything that's made was planned and designed and built and is functional. And your body and mine was planned, designed, built, functioning for a purpose. A purpose to enable us to live in this world. A purpose to enable us to enjoy this world that God had made. But a purpose that goes beyond that, in that we not only have a physical body, we have a non-physical soul and spirit, which God gave us in addition to our body, so that we might be with him forever, a point I've already been trying to make. And the whole of creation, whether we take our own physical bodies as the prime example, or you take any other aspect of creation that you're privileged to look out on each day in these autumn days of fading colors and setting suns and glorious colors, never stop to praise God for what he has done. Fearfully and wonderfully made, says the psalmist. What exactly does that mean? I was trying to tease out in my mind earlier today, what exactly does it mean that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? 
I came to the conclusion, I might be wrong, that when you say something is fearfully made, it's something that fills you with respect for the maker, fills you with admiration for what he has done. And as you think of the structure of your body, or if you wish, under a certain stage in life, where you bring into the world a newborn baby, does not it fill you with respect, with admiration for the one who designed it and brought it to pass? Fearfully made. And wonderfully made, that's maybe easier. We wonder at it. We're full of amazement. We can't comprehend it all. But we are truly wondering in awe and amazement at what God has made, making us. If you're not quite into babies, and if you're not quite into health, just hold out your hand. And look at that hand of yours, fearfully and wonderfully made. Four fingers, one thumb opposite it. If it was not like that, the things that you take for granted that you're able to do with your hand every day would not be possible. Your fingers are sensitive to touch. There is a network of blood vessels supplying blood through tiny capillaries to the very ends of it, so that if you cut your finger and it begins to bleed, that blood will staunch, will dry up, and it will heal itself. It's all a marvel of divine design. Each component cell in your body, and there are billions of them. Each coherent organ in your body, and there are dozens of them. And the complete structure that's made speaks of the skill and the glory and grandeur and wisdom of Almighty God, who is the creator of everything, everything you can see and everything you can't see. I like this psalm. It encourages me to praise him because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and so are you. And so is everything else around us, from the most distant galaxy to everyday things in the forests and in the seas and in the skies and in the earth, all made by God. Let's not stop praising him for all that he has done, all that he has done in the realm of creation, as well as all that he is doing in the realm of salvation and eternal life that we possess by his grace. So these are three of our books. A book of revelation, giving us reason to be sure that what we believe is true. It's the word of God. The book of salvation that gives us reason to be joyful, not in our success, but in our salvation. A book of creation that gives us reason to praise him, to wonder at the skill that made us. Now what about this last one in the book of Malachi? Let's take a few minutes to think about this one. A book that is here called a book of remembrance. God is writing it in heaven. And it's written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought about his name. Now, we only read that verse in Malachi, but I'm sure you've read other verses in Malachi and you will remember that the conditions in Malachi's day were, to say the least, pretty bad. 
They were actually as bad as they are in 21st century Scotland. I think we sometimes feel that Scotland's got in a bad way. Well, so has Britain and so has America and so has the whole world. But let's focus on what Malachi had to face. If you, if your Bible's open in Malachi 3, you'll notice that just before the verse we read, people were saying, it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we've kept his ordinance in that we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? People were saying, what's the point of religion? What's the point of obeying all these rules? It's a pointless exercise. And then they were saying in verse 15, we call those who are proud happy. And those that work wickedness are exalted. And those that are tempting God get away with it. That sounds familiar? Nowadays, you hear them saying, it's okay, as long as you're happy, just do it. And if you get away with it, that's fine. And even though you do things that some people call wickedness, well, it won't matter. And those that shake their fist at God, it won't matter. It will, nothing will happen. And whether you want to think about the realm of morality, or even politics and finance and all that stuff, these things that were present in Malachi's day are with us today. What did the folk in Malachi's day do about it? Well, some didn't care. But there was another group who, it says, feared the Lord. They thought about his name, and they spoke often to one another. They didn't go on the street to protest about it. They didn't write letters to the newspapers to lay their point of view antagonistically before others. It says they spoke often to one another. They had a habit in a world that was decadent, in a world that was perverse. They spoke to one another. They thought about the Lord. They feared his name. And they didn't know it, but the Lord was listening. The Lord hearkened and heard. And more than just him listening and hearing what they were doing, he was writing down in his book of remembrance the names of those people who feared him and who thought upon his name. Is that me? Is that you in our present society, which we recognize is in a mess, which we recognize is not only perverse but inverse, Good is bad and bad is good in their eyes. And yet the scriptures lay out the rules so clearly. How do we do? How do we react to it? Well, here's a good example to speak often to one another. To encourage each other in those things that matter. What did they speak about? Well, at least two things in our verse. Verse 17 speaks about the day when the Lord will make up his jewels. Now, jewels are the things that are precious. Precious to him because there's a day coming when he's got to gather them all up and display them. And you know the hymn that the boys and girls used to sing, maybe still do in some places, when he cometh to make up his jewels. And every believer 
is a jewel for the Saviour, is precious to him. And these people spoke about a day when the jewels would be made up, when the precious things to God would be revealed. Do we speak about that? And they also spoke about a sunrise. Chapter 4, To you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. They spoke about a sunrise. Not tomorrow's sunrise, which may or may not come, but a sunrise that is without a doubt coming, when the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and will heal all the mess that this society is in, that this world is in, when he will heal the brokenness of every heart that has trusted him, when he will make right all that's wrong, when he will establish 1,000 years of perfect righteousness and peace and justice and will never fail. They spoke about things like that. What an incentive for our conversation to speak about things that are precious to God, to speak about things that are promised to us. And while we cannot close an eye to the mess that society is in, and while we cannot but be distressed about it, all of us here tonight, whether young folk at college and starting work, or older folk who are in the middle of it, or folk like us who are retired from it, We do see the wickedness all around. We do realise things are bad. But in it all, we can be stimulated. We can be encouraged to appreciate what the Lord has done. And to speak often one to another. It's a sceptical society we live in. We need our faith to be confirmed. It's a hopeless society we live in. We need our joy to be seen. It's an atheistic society we live in. We need to remind ourselves that creation is real. It's a perverse society we live in. We need to be faithful and encourage one another in those things that are surely precious and promised to us. You maybe sing sometimes the hymn that says, Thoughts of His Coming. For that joyful day in patient hope I watch and wait and pray. The dawn draws nigh, the midnight shadows flee. Oh, what a sunrise will that advent be. Looking forward to it. May the Lord help us to do that as we come to the close of another Saturday evening. Our Father,